What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Planning Desk Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Burmeister, joined as always by my co-hosts, Tony Steep and Mr. Purple. How you doing, man? Good, sir. How are you? Good. I'm super excited because we are joined live in person again in the Navaplan studio by an in-person guest, this time one of our faves, Michael this Antonelli. Like, this is like three weeks in a row that we yes. have a guest, and yes, Michael Antonelli is a good friend of both you and, and myself, and a good friend of the firm, actually, because uh, Baird, for for whom he works, for whom? For market strategist. For market Baird. strategist at Baird. Um, as a customer, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a lot of other fun stuff. Michael, thanks for joining us. Hey, listen, Mike, uh, it's, it's nice to be in Paisley Park. I hope we uh, get a rendition of uh, Raspberry Beret here. Uh, this is, I never thought it would be this purple, but it is this purple. Yeah. <laughs> it is purple. We have a live background for me that cost us just shy of like $37,000, but it's worth every yeah. penny. Friends would be proud. For sure. <laughs> So, um, first things first, local guests, the rule is you bring in a beer, um, a local beer. This time, you looks like you got spare time. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this, uh, this segment on your podcast, uh, the bring in the local beer thing. I, I did. I brought in uh, spare time, a hazy IPA. Uh, I mean, who has any time for these bitter IPAs? Forget it. Like, you know, <laughs> just bring the juicy ones. Uh, and I did Good City. I got a great story about Good City. I don't Please. know if you guys know this. Uh, I, I did the tour, right? There's the local brewery. I did the tour. And... Uh, it's a great story. It was three guys mm-hmm. who just sat around one day and said, we should start a brewery. <laughs> so how many conversations have you ever had with like a couple friends where you're like, hey, listen, uh, no, the work thing's going well, but maybe we should like, I don't know, start a restaurant or maybe we should start a bar. And you're like, ah, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. So, right. Mm-hmm. These guys actually went through with it. They actually said, let's start a brewery. They went through with it. Uh, I, I think Good City is one of our best kind of local mm-hmm. beers. I really, really do. It's, it's, the, the story inspires me. The beer selection inspires me. Uh, I think all of their locations, especially the one by the stadium, is awesome. So, yeah, they have multiple locations. They built one by the Bucks, right? They have yeah. a beautiful building uh, at the Bucks uh, Pfizer Forum. Um, but, yeah, such a cool story. And my favorite part about those, the, the Good City beers, is, like, the diversity of the flavors. Like, mm-hmm. just, it's different. Yeah, right? just, it's different for sure. Very yeah. creative. Very creative. Okay, so thanks for bringing in the beer. We are drinking some of the Night Rain Porter from a past episode. And don't worry, it is... Not 10 a.m. Uh, anymore. It's actually yeah, closer to yeah. closer to it's closer to noon than it is to breakfast beer. Yeah. Regardless, my favorite segment now about learning a little bit more about Michael Antonelli with uh, a random set of questions that we've um, written over the last few weeks. Go ahead. Go first. Yeah. All right. Toughest one. Who is your favorite host of the Planning Desk podcast? Yeah, listen, that's uh, <laughs> wow. I mean, I am good friends with Tom and his wife, but you know. Uh, Tony is a, a big fan of the same pop culture movies yes, I am. Yes, there you go. The ones in outer space. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's tough. What I'll say is that you both have your strengths and weaknesses, and I do appreciate uh, the invite. So I'm going to say both of you. All right, all right. Now that we can continue, uh, let's Not go with. Better, uh, you're just different. Different, yeah. different. different. Yeah. Let's very, go with, uh, very different. Dream vacation spot that you have not yet been to. Okay, that I've not yet been to. So that's a good question. In, in COVID, there's been lots of thoughts about. You know, let's get the heck out of here. Let's go somewhere else. I think the one place I've always wanted to go to that I've yet to go to, I've flown over it a couple times, uh, is is Tahiti. I think oh. I think the South Pacific. Uh, oh, man. I got like a, a real kind of uh, uh, tiki uh, passion, passion mm-hmm. tiki as both a uh, type of bar and type of drink. But you know, some of those little overwater huts. Like, could you mm-hmm. imagine? Like, yep. I mean, I know it's like probably a twenty-hour flight from here, but it's just like an island in the South Pacific sounds like a. Hey, it's like fantastical, right? Like oh, just the thought of it—it it seems so surreal. 
Absolutely. So, favorite hobby? Favorite hobby? Probably, and, and I have this in, in the intro that I do to clients when I do client events, and I'd say my favorite hobby is being a semi-professional bartender. And right. that means that I'm not yet willing to put my whole life into being a bartender. I have a lot I still need to accomplish with Baird and for our clients, but, you know, knowing a friend who can make a good cocktail you always want to invite that person over. Yeah. You, know, you so, always want to be next to that. You know, and that brings up a good point. You've never invited me over. <laughs> and We're but there. every Friday I get these messages from you with photos of these beautiful yes. drinks you yeah. make. Yeah. And it's yeah. like you're rubbing it in. Yeah. Yeah, and then I never get the call. I think mm-hmm. we're, we're 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 close enough. I think after today, I think it's going to be a, a regular occurrence. Because you live in like a different country compared to uh, we do. We yeah. we, we, we um, need a passport to get the whitefish bay. Yeah, well, let's do some easy ones. Uh, hometown. Uh, so my wife and my family live in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, which is just north of Milwaukee. We moved there in uh, 2007 after I graduated from Chicago University College. And where'd you? So where'd you grow up? Well, kind of all over the place. I was the uh, the child of an IBMer. Okay. Uh, and IBM stands for I've been moved. So I was born in <laughs> California. Uh, moved to Oregon, moved back to California, lived in the Bay Area for a little bit, moved to Connecticut, lived outside of Fairfield in a little town called Trumbull, Connecticut, which uh, won the Little League World Series one year. So I think the fame of that town. Uh, moved uh, to the Midwest for school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, when you move that much, you kind of generally never think of someplace as right. your hometown. So mm-hmm. I kind of latched onto Chicago as my hometown after uh, after graduation from my undergrad. I met my wife and spent like a big, a big amount of time. So I, I'm kind of from all over. Okay. Good answer. Good answer. Yeah. How about the last book you read? The last book I read, uh, it's probably Morgan House's book, which is Psychology of Money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably the one that I've leaned into the most during COVID because I found it uh, not only uh, educational for, for my job, but I found it to be a, an easy read. It was quick. And, 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 and Morgan makes it, he makes it really digestible, right? Yeah. All right. This is the tu- this is the penultimate question. Probably the toughest question. Ready. Is, it, is there math? There better not be math. No math involved. Your favorite. Star Wars movie. This is a layup. I think this is a layup, and it's not the one that most people would say. Uh, if, if I have to just lock myself into the movies, yeah, it's, just the movies. Yeah, I can't. If I can't kind of branch out, it's this is. I don't know if this is a spicy take or not. I think Rogue One is probably the best Star Thank Wars you. movie. I think Thank it is. You. It really is. It, it actually. It, we talked about yeah. this, and I knew yeah. you were going to say it. I know you like Empire. It's. It, I think it's lazy now to say Empire is the best movie. I yeah. think you really have to lean into. Thank it, you. Thank you. It yeah, is ro- it is actually it is. Rogue One. It is Rogue One. Why are you um, laughing? You, I hope you're listening to know how passionate Star- we are about you're this. You're not even a Star Wars fan. Yeah. You've got really. the, you have no... No. <laughs> By the way, my kids are Marvel fans, too. I have a big fight about that. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a tense moment. I, one day they might cross over. Yeah, I hope they do. One day they might cross over. A lot of the movies think that. Hopefully they work at advice that they can uh, watch them every Friday. So maybe Ooh. they can get some <laughs> yeah. some internship. I'll put them on an internship. You, you just go... Wait, you know what? That's a great segue, talking about Star Wars into the next segment. Makes perfect sense. Um, talking about the market, yeah. right? Market strategy, kind of what you do at Baird, but but more so just how we how we take market news, how we digest it, but also how we interact with our clients and how that really kind of will solve that problem. So when we get back from the break, we're going to talk with Michael about all things market, all things technology, just a whole bunch of stuff uh, right when we get back. So we're back in the Planning Desk Podcast, joined in person by Michael Antonelli, market strategist at Baird. Thanks again for joining us, Michael. Uh, I also wanted to, we got, we got to know you a little bit in the rapid fire segment, but I, I think it's you also have a fascinating kind of uh, trajectory when it comes to your digital brand. It actually started for me, one of my first years here, uh, when your uh, 
when your medium of, of distribution was actually just an email blast. Yeah. Um, and, and I always look forward to not only the just the, uh, the very interesting narratives about the, the market, but also the links, the links at the end of those emails yeah. where it would be just random stuff on the Internet that like you wouldn't see on your typical Twitter feed or things like that. It was just like, check this out. This is awesome. Or like, you know, do you think this guy survived this fall? Uh, <laughs> just random stuff like that. But it has now taken on just a, a and, and rightfully so, because it was it was too good to just kind of keep uh, in an email blast like that, even though it got to be pretty big. But uh, now on Twitter, the Bull and Baird is also a blog. Uh, fill in any gaps I've missed. But tell us a little bit about kind of your, your career evolution and how your digital brand kind of intersected with that. It was interesting. So I started at Baird as an institutional equity trader. I didn't start as a, a, a market strategist in the, in the private wealth division. I started as uh, out of the University of Chicago. I had an analytic finance MBA. I thought, I have all the answers now. I, I have this $200,000 degree. I took 20 <laughs> classes. I know what binomial <laughs> options pricing model is. I know all this. I'm going to be uh, the best kind of equity trader on the street. And then I realized that the real world is certainly different than the, than the academic world. And, and I realized that you know, if I wanted to write something, if I wanted to create something to engage with our clients, I could fill it with technical terms. I could fill it with, you know, uh, data from the market, but nobody would read it. I mean, how many emails are written a day, newsletters written a day about wrapping up what the market is? Two million. So what I did is I just started to lean into being a normal person. And, and I'll tell you guys, what a secret that was. Yeah. What an absolute secret it was to just talk like a normal person. You know, Wall Street prides itself on complexity and in complex terms. And uh, I just wanted to write in a way that people would open the email and read it and be like, oh, you know, Mike relayed the market to a Game of Thrones episode. Mike relayed mm -hmm. something that happened in the stock to uh, the Packers losing on, on a last minute kind of touchdown. And it really hit. And I grew from 100 people to about 5,000. 5,000. And, uh, you know, think about this. Think, let's, let me just give you an example. Let's give your listeners an example. So Let's say uh, the following statement is true. Let's, let's say the statement's going to go out in a, in a news, newsletter or, or, on the, or on the media. So uh, the stock moved higher today because of a uh, gamma-induced short covering rally in the stock. Uh, so you could write that. How many normal people would understand what that meant? Probably, I don't know, close to zero. Mm -hmm. Or you could say a bunch of people made the wrong bet and they had to get out of that bet. Those are two different ways to say the same thing. Wall Street prides itself on saying the, the, the former. Um, but I wanted to pride myself on talking like an old person. And so when I when I thought about my digital brand, when I thought about my, my engagement on Twitter and, and uh, representing uh, kind of my views on the world, I wanted it to be approachable. Approachable. That's the key here when it comes to content and interacting with not only uh, a, a sophisticated audience, but, but a wealth management audience. And that is say something that they can understand. Keep it short. Just mm -hmm. So that was kind of where my brand started and where it kind of ended today. So you're right. I, I, I write on a blog called Bull and Baird. I have a Twitter account uh, that I'm getting close to 20,000 followers. So I must be doing something right. I think my audience is getting there. Um, but I want my brand to be uh, not only insightful, but approachable. Yeah. So it's actually funny. You bring up your Twitter. Um, yeah, yeah 18,000. After the show, you'll probably eclipse 100,000, Mark. That, that's <laughs> oh, yeah. probably going to happen. So. I got to be Doug Bonaparte. That's one of my but here's what I, here's what I love about following you on Twitter, and well, there's a few things about Twitter that I love. One of which is you can interact with people that normally would never be able to reach out to, right? Um, but with you, not only are you digestible in breaking down complex investment conversations, but like you're just you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you have first of all, some of your takes are awful, <laughs> right? It happens. But some of your I takes are great. But yeah. the point is, it's it's Michael. Yeah. You know, it's not some guy, right? It's not some guy in the 13th floor of Baird's offices. It's not, or whatever floor you're on. It's not, 
this you know this guy that knows all this stuff. It's Michael, right? And that that is so approachable. The bartender that, guy. Yeah, the bartender <laughs> yeah. guy, right? But that's that's so powerful. You've done such a great job, and you unlocked that power of Twitter. You know, when I think about a social media presence, and when you think about what works on social media, it's authenticity. It's just authenticity. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm really fortunate that Bear gives me uh, the space and the support to be authentic on on social media, on my blog, on Twitter. Like that's really important. And I'm I'm not uh, uh, I'm not the kind of person that wants to take that for granted. Uh, I want to be able to express my personality, but also in a way that makes Bear proud. You know what I mean? And I, and I want that to be part of what I do. And that's why. Uh, you know, I find that if you put market stuff out there, you get very little engagement. If you mix market stuff with a little bit of personality, you get more engagement. Uh, you know, some of my biggest uh, tweets haven't been market-related at all, but that's just how social media works. Yeah. The way I view it, and, and I think the way a lot of people view it who are smart and are using it well, is create fans of your content, convert some of those fans to clients. I think that's how the best advisors are using social media sure. Twitter and, and how I try to use it on behalf of Barry's. Put out good content, be a person that is relatable, and, and try to help uh, those people find you and, and find their way to bear the content. And there was, a, there, there was a bit of a rough go at first, right? Wasn't there like when you kind of started up there, there was a bit of like a, wait, what? what you're on Twitter. Yeah. Like, like there was a little bit of like, it wasn't like a challenge, it was more of a question. And, and you've proven that the power of social, the power of digestible content works. Definitely ahead of its time. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. So I think, uh, speaking of clients, uh, I remember just being fascinated by the fact that uh, I had heard you you had moved into the into the private wealth arena, uh, same company, still with Bear. Yeah. Um, but tell us a little bit about that transition, because I think, I mean, you are so relatable, and, and I think you, you do have, you bring so much to those interpersonal uh, conversations. Uh, that wasn't necessarily your start uh, yeah. with Bear. So how did, how did you, did that, con did that opportunity find you? Did you go find it? I, I, yeah, it's, it's great. It's a great question. And uh you know, when I think about the arc of my career, one of the things that I wanted to uh, remember, one of the things that I wanted to have as uh, kind of my guiding force is that you constantly need to be reinventing yourself in a career. You, you can't just get into a rut and say, this is going to this is gonna carry me for my day. Baird has some of the best traders on the street. I'm so proud to have been part of that institutional mm -hmm. trading unit. I know your wife, mm -hmm. uh, Katie, who I worked with for, for 12 plus years, yeah. was, and I loved working there. I really did. Uh, I, but I really also enjoyed writing. I enjoyed engaging with people. I found that speaking wasn't difficult in front of an audience. I found that creating stuff that, that really resonated with not only institutions, but with private wealth clients worked on like, you know, I, I would love to bring this to Baird's private wealth division, which is its largest division. Uh, you know, we have, we have institutional, you know, we have investment banking, uh, you know, private equity, asset management, all those things. I wanted to bring that style to the wealth management unit because I'm passionate about the future. I'm passionate mm -hmm. about where this is going. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to be part of a unique uh, environment. And Baird said, listen, we love your style. We love um, this, the, your takes. We love the way you're writing. And, and you go on my blog. I don't write like most normal people. I'm not out there trying to talk about the change in earnings estimates and GDP. I want to relate uh, landing a rover on Mars to being optimistic about the future. I want to land the fact that wealth management is about doing what you should be thinking about and not what other people are thinking about. And Baird was gracious enough to, to bring me on and support me along the way. And we have a great marketing department. We have great leaders. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a testament to them saying, let's take this trader and turn him into something else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they even let you on the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know they yeah. let you on this show. Yeah, but that was, it took me a while. <laughs> I don't know what he's asked yet. Uh, so let's, let's transition that into, into the markets a little bit. And 
Um, and tell us a little bit of how, like how, how you go about kind of formulating how you communicate because you're still, you still have that academic, academic background and you can still kind of consume all of that technical information. But then tell us about the thought process of taking that, kind of filtering it through your, 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 uh, your, your brain and then kind of putting it into that, that digestible format that you're so famous for. So that's the key, right? That's the key. It's taking the, what's moving the market. It's taking one of the big themes and putting it uh, in a way that a, a wealth management client can, can digest mm. it and understand it. So I'll give you another example. I'm, I'm big on example. Oh, like I'm an example kind of guy. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so here's an example. So, how does the why does the market move in the short run? Why does it move? Well, you could say that the market moves in the short run because economic data was worse or better than expected. Earnings were better or worse than expected. Like what? What's moving it? Is it is it a headline? Is it, is it you know an election? What is it? Well, in the short short run, we're talking like you know days to weeks. The market moves on: are things getting better or are things getting worse? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of easy to digest. Is, is the world getting better or is the world getting worse? Think about the bottom in April, the COVID bottom, uh, I'm sorry, March into April. Economic data was the worst it's ever been. Yeah. Like in history, you're talking about ISM, PMI, you're talking about stuff in the 30s for PMIs. It's hard to get worse than the worst of all time. Mm -hmm. Sure. So things were starting to get better. They weren't getting worse anymore. The market bought. In the short run, the market trades on are things getting better or are things getting worse. So I want to lean into approachable stuff like that. In both my written work and, and in my um, kind of presentations, and I want to continue to use that to to build Baird's brand with their wealth management clients. And that is, gosh, if I have a question and I go to my advisor, and or if Mike is going to do an event for me, or I'm going to read a piece of Mike's work, I, I walk away from it going, I get, okay, I get it, I understand. I, I'm not walking away with, oh, I got five other questions, mm -hmm. uh, because I think that the worst kind of uh, experience a client can have is coming with a question and just leaving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's actually, so this is so topical because we're shooting a few days after we saw a crypto correction of about 30%, 40%, right? And, and of course, the market was, you know, misbehaving as well, right? In some situations. But what I love about, and I want to reference this, you wrote this You Do You blog yeah. post. And it was, I wish that every investor could read that because stop it. Yeah. Stop looking at the date, like stop and give us that analogy of like the day-to-day -day, yeah. day trader versus yeah. what a client should be thinking. So think about it. So you could open a, you could open a paper, you could go on CNBC, you could go on the internet and you could look at the price of, let's just pick my favorite. So one of my favorite stocks is Disney, uh, just because I'm a big Disney fan. Uh, we look at the price of Disney stock today. You and I look at it today. Say that you're a day trader, Tony. You're a day trader. All you care about is what Disney price does today. Is it going to go up or is it going to go up? Maybe you care about where it goes tomorrow, but you're a you're a you're a day. You're a day. It looks at the mask mandate, you know, no more masks. Yeah, so is no that more gonna, masks. Is that gonna like you're like, oh, I'm, I'm making these moves yeah. based on like how many people are, are going in the entrance. Mm -hmm. I am a long-term investor. I am building uh building wealth for retirement. I'm building wealth for college education, uh, and I'm looking at the price of Disney stock for the next decade. You are attaching your strategy to Disney stock. I am attaching my price to Disney stock. Who's correct? Who should we listen to? Well, right. Listen, I think you're a smart guy. I really do. I, I think I love your takes and I think you're a smart guy, but you're in it for a different reason than I am. And that's why I wrote this blog, You Do You, which is stop caring what other people think the price of something should be. First of all, they don't know. Nobody knows. The market is a complex adaptive system. It changes instantly. Sure. So stop attaching what somebody else is looking at to what you're looking at and focus on yourself. If you can do that, if you can do that, that my friends, this is hard. If you can do that, you're one of the best investors out there. Well, it's funny, um, two, uh, two points to that, which A, 
Um, the challenge I think we have is that the day traders are the loud ones. Yeah. CNBC, all the red on the screen, it's a lot louder than you and I and others saying you do you. So that's one of the challenges we need to. So we need to get more of your kind of approach out there, like louder, more vocal. Well, let me let me give you a crazy stat. So it's, it's been said that uh, the average human today consumes more information in 24 hours than somebody in the 1800s did all year. Jeez. Think about that. Like I'm depressed. You're all, like, <laughs> and like, you know this information is just crushing to somebody. Now imagine you're trying to do that while raising a family, and you're trying to do that while building a business. So you're trying to do that while um, you know, your, while your kids are screaming in, their, in your house, like it's hard. it's hard. Yeah, and I think what's great about it is that I think a lot of people, when they hear, don't worry about the, the, the short term behavior of the markets, we're invested for the long term, they, they interpret that as like, don't watch CNBC, you know, unsubscribe from the Wall Street Journal, all that kind of stuff. But I actually look at it, I think it's an even more beautiful thing that I still watch CNBC every day. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not a Wall Street Journal subscriber anymore, digital only, but, um, but I, I mean, I'm just, the, the, I think about my mindset when I'm able to read that, when I read that stuff and it's just purely from a, you know, purely interest and like I'm, my emotions are so level and I'm so, you know, it's such a different story when I'm not living and dying on every dip and, and uh, it's, it's, and I think that's what people need to understand is like, you can still consume all the information. It's just how, what your, how it changes your behavior and your, yeah. in your mental state. Humans, well. look, humans look for answers in uh, all sorts of different ways and they look for answers in in what their friends are doing. They look for yes. answers on what's happening on TV, what's going on in the news. So anything that's the loudest is obviously going to have a huge impact on them. And so I, not only am I a big fan of writing and speaking like a normal person, I'm a big fan of behavioral finance. And, mm -hmm. and inside of Baird, I'm, I want to carve out the, the, the segment of uh, behavioral finance so that we can engage with our clients about decision science and, and what, what, is, what, is, what are the things that are hurting their performance the most? Is it, is it uh, you know, the news or is it how you're reacting to it? Sure. Mm -hmm. The Baird like Behavioral Finance Institute, yeah. powered by yeah. Plan. I think it's powered <laughs> by Navi Plan. Uh, powered by Poland Baird. <laughs> powered by Poland Baird, yes. Yeah, and I think what, what another thing that's interesting is like, and I just want to point this out, and I know you know this, but you know, if you were to follow the day traders of CNBC or these kind of these folks that do things, you would have missed one of the best upswings oh. of all time last year, right? Like people were pulling out in March uh, out of because there was a fear mongering going on. People were pulling out of the market in equities, and they lost a significant amount of wealth because of that upswing. So the largest 12-month uh, gain in the S&P 500 uh, since the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. If you look at from March of last year to March of this year, the largest 12-month gain since the Great Depression, I think it was a little over 75% in a 12-month period. And this, there have been multiple examples over the past 12 yeah. to 16 months of why an advisor can be so crucially important, not only the COVID crash and, and the fear surrounding it, but the election, the election was also a, another moment yeah. where an, an investor had a chance to make a decision based on uh, some gut feel that ended up, uh, ended up being almost instantly wrong post election. The market had its single biggest post election gains. In the 50s. Mm -hmm. So there were two instances where an advisor, uh, I'm sorry, where an investor could have really gone wrong. Right. I mean, I remember looking at my, I have no money, by the way, I have, Full disclosure: I have five children, I have no money. Yeah, my, yeah. I was looking at. <laughs> my, I was looking at my mouth, your wine bill. Last <laughs> it was okay. Um, for I looked. I remember logging into my four hundred and one k around March or whatever it was. Mark was the bottom, and it looked like I'd wiped away four or five years of work. Right, like it. Like when you look at the markets, it was like four or five years, and. 
So we obviously, walked to my office. Huh? So we walked I, over I, my I think office. I did. I, I think, actually was looking at mine when you walked I feel like we office. talked about this. But purely for fun. To be right, like, it was fun. Because yeah. we, I would not have done anything, right? But but that's because I, I follow you on Twitter. But also, uh, you know, obviously, I, I believe in the power of you know, bench planning and I think we joked about like, can you imagine the people pulling out right now that are just doing yeah, stupid stuff? But that was yeah, people yeah. were reacting, especially yeah. those that don't have advisor because they were looking at their 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 four hundred one ks or whatever it was, and they're like, oh my goodness, this is gonna get worse. This is gonna get worse. And there were some people, people predicting. in their thirties and forties. There, <laughs> like there were Great Depression two calls. There yeah, were yeah. people saying we're headed for another Great Depression. Like how sad is that? Because I mean, like think about that. People put, people removed themselves, right? And then they took themselves out of the market. And they lost, I mean, they, they lost out. So that's, I mean, it's really depressing. So it's really important. Voices like yours are kind of, you know, more positioned for that. But even more importantly than that is technology and how technology can allow an advisor or a firm not only to communicate the concept of old, right, or the concept of you're okay, but how you can interact on a much more a meaningful basis, especially in this new world uh, following the COVID pandemic. So. When we get back from the break, we're going to talk to Michael a lot more about how technology and how advisors can use that technology to calm during corrections like we experienced last week and also just how we should interact going forward in the future. Welcome back from the break. We have Michael from Baird here in the office, and we've had fantastic segment actually on kind of the market and kind of how you communicated um, to the invest investor public around thinking about the market and what a great avenue into talk about technology right and we, we've talked obviously we cover technology we're Navi plan this is what we do right we offer that kind of advice technology to the clients but the shift is really happening and rapidly so you know when you think about the market and you think about clients re- investors reacting to the market. How does technology solve that? And, and, and we would love to hear some examples, especially about how Baird solves that with their technology. Yeah, we could, we could talk a little bit about my view of the intersection and then a little bit about how we're engaging in kind of a post-COVID perfect. Yeah, too. So perfect. I think that's a, a good kind of yeah. too. Here's how I think about uh, this industry, particularly wealth management. It, it's a wealth management experience. Okay, an experience. Like, there's a difference between... Uh, Coffee and Starbucks coffee. What's the difference? Like you can get coffee anywhere. You can get a one dollar coffee at a gas station. You can get, you can get a one dollar coffee at uh, you know a local store. Uh, but you can go to Starbucks to get a four dollar coffee. Why why are you going to Starbucks to get the four dollar coffee? Well, you're going in because of the experience, right? You're getting the experience, the smells, the way it looks, the people, uh, the menu, all those things. And wealth management, the same thing. We want to build a good wealth management experience. And uh, one of the things I love about your your podcast, other than the two of you guys, yeah. are awesome, oh, is, is the name, right? It's the planning desk. It's not financial plan. It's financial planning, right? It's nonstop. It's nonstop. Mm-hmm. You don't show up uh, like Charlton Heston with a couple tablets etched in stone and be like, okay, here's your plan. You're engaging in a wealth management experience. You're engaging in planning. So we want to be thoughtful about the intersection of planning and technology. So we want to kind of reinforce the human advice with the digital Sure. Digitally enabled uh, or digitally enhanced advice. And I think that is a good way to view where wealth management itself yep. will, will head. So, and, and, and how we're kind of engaging with clients now, COVID threw us all into our homes, right? We ended up in our homes and, and we ended up having to rapidly adapt to Zoom and WebEx and being able to do client meetings uh, digitally. And, and that's important because 
not only did COVID push us forward in a lot of things like mm-hmm. uh, migration patterns and work from home, but it also pushed this industry forward into uh, digitally enhanced advice. Digitally enhanced advice and advisors uh, in the future, advisors now and in the future will have a suite of tools uh, that will help them uh, create that wealth management security. So I think when, when we think about the first introductions of digital advice and the, and the whole, and robo movement going back, you know, probably almost 10 years now, geez, but you know, there was a, an immense skepticism and also a little bit of fear on, 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 on the part of advisors to, you know, whether not necessarily are they going to be replaced, but how is this going to make a, make that, you know, how is this all going to work out together? Uh, now that population has shrunk significantly, but there are still, you know, a lot of people out there that question how this whole thing is going to work together with digitally enhanced advice and whether that is starting to push out uh, the human aspect of it. But I think the human aspect is probably as important as it's ever been. So can you talk about how those two things can harmoniously exist together? You know, the, the takes around robo-advisors were, were, were hilarious. Were, were heady, right? There oh, were I loved it. I mean, there was... I loved it. I love bringing uh, those back up. Finance Twitter, which we're all, you know, we're all part of, and, and I know you and I interact on a lot. You know, but I remember whole stretches where, where robo-advice was like the number one thing. Let me let me give you my take on robo-advisors. I think it adds to our industry. I don't think it's subtract. I think it's growing the pie, not shrinking it. Sure. It's showing us that there are people who need help with investing. Mm-hmm. They do, Right. You, I, I need help. You need help. The average person needs help. Their entry into the advice world will probably come through robo-advisors, mm-hmm. right? That's probably where you would start. But as your situation gets more complex, as you need better planning, as you need better uh, uh, better advice, you transition to the full wealth management experience. And, yes. and that's that's what the real take is on robo But But technology in and of itself is going to be super important, I think, not only for current advisors to think about, but future advisors. And I'll give you a quick story. I think there was an article in New York Mag Spack your stonks with NFTs. It was this really crazy. It was this great article, and there, there was a there was a woman in it who was seeking out advice. She was seeking out wealth management advice, and she was interviewing uh, advisors on. Um, she was interviewing advisors on on Zoom. She was interviewing advisors digitally, and this, and you can read this in the article. I think she was she was she's like I'm the ideal wealth management client. I'm I'm, I'm well on my way to on my career. I've got some wealth based on this IPO that I was a part of. And this advisor she was interviewing just ended up trying to share his screen on Zoom, and he just ended up sharing everything. So this, she was looking at like his whole screen and looking at all the wrong stuff she probably shouldn't have been looking at. And she's like, well, I'm going to engage with a wealth manager that, that technology seems to be uh, kind of uh, a struggle with. And that, that lesson to me was important because digitally enhanced advice, digitally enabled advice uh, is important. We need to be thinking about it, uh, the technology around it. But... Advisors need to be comfortable in using all this technology. So, uh, so the next generation, this generation, and the next generation who might just want a digitally enhanced wealth management experience with human advice, but they might want just much more of an app or a phone call or, or a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are these are seismic changes. They're yeah. seismic changes, and they're important for us to be talking about and and to be thinking about. I'd like to punctuate something uh, before I comment on the robos. Yeah, um, I. Michael, what you just said, I think, needs to be kind of celebrated, right? Digitally enabled advice, probably the common nomenclature, right? It's kind of what people say, but I love digitally enhanced advice. Why? Because that still reminds us all that the advisor is at the core right. of the advice relationship. And they, you know, I hate that bionic advisor and e-advisor. That's all nonsense. But, but really, technology allows an advisor to... Really expand their practice, be more efficient, but be present 
technologically, especially in times that we just experienced. But it's funny, I was at, at Schwab Impact, and um, I, we, went, we talked about the decade of disruption, and the first Robos came out back in 2010. And I remember the predictions, and I won't call up the analysts because some of them are good partners of ours, but their predictions fundamentally were wrong. And they, and they were a massive failure on the, the, the predicted AUM growth and everything. But I will say two things about the robo, which I think you pointed out, but I want to ask you on this topic. Two things. One, it is a lead generation tool. It has brought more investors into the pond of investment advice, right, right. for advisors to attract, right? So that's number one. Number two, it has done something that has forced advisors to be more technological and to be more design-focused, design-centric, right? Because... If the robots didn't show up, where would we where would we be technologically? What would we look like? Right? We would we'd probably be moving forward, but not as fast as we should have. So, on the topic of lead generation and kind of the digital experience, what are you seeing at maybe Baird or with investors and how they desire technology now, especially in a post-pandemic world? Right. In a post-pandemic world, you're going to have uh, all sorts of different needs from different sets of clients, and and a, and a wealth management firm will be thoughtful about. Uh, all the different segments and what they kind of desire. Think about uh, websites, right? We started with websites that probably showed you your balance, uh, what the market did, and maybe like what your transactions were. Statement PDF. Right? Okay. So maybe, and maybe you were delivering those via PDF. Maybe that was the start of an interaction, digitally sure. enhanced interaction. Uh, then, you know, we moved to more advanced websites. Then we moved to apps. Uh, who knows what crypto will do? Will we end up with like some sort of like uh, platform built on Ethereum, which is DeFi, right? That's a topic for a whole nother... Uh, a whole nother podcast, sure. but this will continue to evolve such that I, I think, you know, you might end up in a situation uh, in the future where, so say your millennials are now the big clients or, or Gen X, I'm a Gen X, right? I just happen to be the greatest 47 year old, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> where we're demanding uh, really interactive apps where not only are we going to be able to see our, our positions and, and our, in our, in our planning, but we're going to also be able to interact with you guys via FaceTime or something. Maybe, these apps end up somewhere where it's a multimedia digitally planned sure. experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm excited about the future of that because that will speak to a new generation of investors. They will have grown up on these robos that have really cool UIs, that have really cool like websites and apps and everything. And that will, will work its way into the wealth management yes. world. And I'm excited for advisors to not only be able to move forward with technology, but to do it. Uh, in real unique ways that we can't even kind of imagine today. Mm -hmm. It's exciting. So can you talk about how you tailor your communications or your digital strategy perhaps to individual clients? Because I think there's, I mean, statistics have debunked over and over again the fact that high net worth people may not want to engage digitally or things like that. I mean, we all, that's, that's just not true, even though a lot of people might think that. But, you know, you're, you're, you're famous for how, you, how you've been able to tailor communications for the everyday investor. Um, but how, did, how do you think about it from client to client and, and how does that relate to technology when it comes to how you're introducing this technology to clients, maybe differently than you had in the past or new new pieces of technology because Baird as a client, I can say has done a nice job in enhancing their tech, technology offerings as well. Um, you know, how are you introducing those to clients and is it different from client to client? And yeah, Tom, thanks for being a client of Baird. Really I don't have a choice. But... <laughs> uh, I, I, think, I think you're onto something when you say it's, it's different from client to client. I used to think that I could just show up in wealth management, uh, splash out my style, and that everybody would pay attention. And I was wrong in that sense because different generations engage in different ways. Uh, some people are more digitally native. Some people are still analog. 
And that's fine. Look, that's fine. I, I don't want to be the kind of person that says, you can only read my content on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll still produce uh, an email that goes to an email list. I'm happy to produce PDFs uh, if an advisor wants to send a PDF to a client. Like I know that people engage differently. Uh, but I want to move the ball forward. I want to move the ball forward inside of Baird uh, in, 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 and with my brand. And that is, what is it? Podcasts. What is uh, vlogs? What are YouTube? What does an email look like? You know, I, I want to be everywhere because if we're going to attract clients of all different ages and, and types, if we're going to uh, be thoughtful about technology and how it's the interaction with clients are working, we need to. We need to. We need to move to a world where uh, you've got a bit of content here and a bit of content there. You've got a good Twitter person uh, who's who's pushing the brand and, and its own brand. So, like I said, COVID really pushes forward. And I, I used to go on the road a lot and mm -hmm. do a lot of client events. You show sure. up at a you show up in a hotel ballroom, there'd be a nice buffet over here. I wouldn't get to eat it. The clients oh, would yeah. get a nice little run of the buffet. We'd do a talk, shake some hands. And, and that was a, a, a traditional client experience sure. when you're updating them on the market. So for, for technology or, or anything. And COVID throws us into the, the world where now I can deliver that in a hyper-personalized way. I can deliver that via uh, WebEx or Zoom or whatever the chosen platform is. I can have an advisor group say, hey, come speak to these six clients that are really worried about the election. Come speak to them. And I can do that instantly from my, from, from my home in a really highly professional way. Uh, I don't think that will take over. I think we will still have the in-person events. I'm hoping that you guys are throwing conferences again one day. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping we can get oh, yeah. together. Because that, that builds a lot of creativity in our community. Uh, but I like the fact that I can deliver into my client's home, into their iPad and their chair, a meaningful wealth, part of a meaningful wealth management experience. And, and I can do it in, in my style that is complementary to Baird's other experts. Mm -hmm. And for the record, I'm sure I would be a, a client whether I had the choice or not. <laughs> Excellent. You know, Baird, one of Milwaukee's best stories. I mean, a worldwide brand, but uh, but the fact that it's from Milwaukee, I just love that. Um, Tony, you have an asked a question? Yeah, no. So I... It's actually funny you talk about um, in-person events and all the interactions of old, right? And let's talk about advisor gamma, right? Because I think that like the digital side of things, so this is the, the contrarian point of view. There's a lot of advisors that say, you know what, I don't need technology. I don't need a flashy portal or video stuff because I am their advisor and I know them. And there is a point about gamma that remains true, right? The empathetic point, right? The point of interaction, understanding uh, that person in a very intimate way, right? Because you cannot experience some things digitally right. around reactions to news, what have you. So for those naysayers around technology that say, no, 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 the advisor's important, you know, and you kind of alluded to it, the next generation of investors, but just think about like the efficiencies around technology too. Like how can technology not only because it's an augmentation, right? Like you said, right. it's an enhancement. How can that make even those very successful advisors better in their practice? You know, it, it really just comes down to the intersection of a planning experience. And, and I do lean into experience a lot. You, you'll, you've heard I me say that, that a couple it's times. So, because it's so right, though. That's what's important. That's mm -hmm. what's important in wealth management is the experience. The experience can be everything from what does my advisor's office look like? When I get there, am I comfortable? Right. Uh, when I get there... It's a friendly face. I know him. He knows me. I've been in this office. I feel safe here. That experience uh, is what drives all kinds of businesses. And, and as we as we talk about that intersection, uh, it has to be focused on amplifying the human part of it. And the, the, the advisors who are maybe further in their career that, that say, I'm doing what I'm doing. I have a successful career. 
So they might say that, but but they are successful for a reason, and that's because their human interactions are so powerful. Sure. And and their clients trust them so much. I, I think about about like this intersection of humans and technology is you could put me at the uh, at the wheel of a Boeing seven thirty seven and, and and you could say all this technology in front of you is available for you to land the plane. And I might succeed. I might. I probably mm. won't. <laughs> I probably won't. Right? I might hit the wrong button. The plane might turn upside down. If you sit a co-pilot next to me and say, here's the technology that sits in front of us. I'm going to talk you through the landing. I bet I succeed. I, I bet I really do succeed. Sure. Uh, and I want that intersection uh, to be a part of a wealth management experience, which is why I like talking to uh, people like you. I like talking to companies about What's going on in technology? How will it change how advisors interact? Because I want to be kind of thoughtful about that. Uh, so when I when I engage with advisors, Baird has Baird has hundreds and hundreds of advisors, and they're all kind of running their own practices and using technology. And I want to be knowledgeable enough to say, uh, "Hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that?" So it's actually really interesting you bring up a point. And obviously, the news a few weeks ago that Navitan is acquired by Invest Club. Um, Something that's really, really critical, and you talk about client experience, right? And there's a technology side of it. Uh, there is an advisor side of it. And there's just just that general environmental side of it, right? And I love the point you made about you walk in an office, you get a certain experience, right? There's brand colors. There's furniture purple. choices. Yeah. Purple. Yeah. Yeah. Purple furniture choices, yeah. plants, whatever that is, right? Yeah. That's your experience. Part of Midwest Express, they made the cookies. Yeah. Part of their experience, It right? builds brand loyalty, right? That right? builds brand loyalty. So what, what, what's so exciting about, well, the Invest Cloud concept is that they create a technology that's highly configurable to those different experiences, right? Because as we move forward as an industry, if you're buying out-of-the-box software and you're not manipulating it in a way that creates that true experience that your investors expect, right, there's going to be that disconnect. And it's even from word choice and vernacular, but how you provide advice. So when an advisor is looking for software or thinking about that experience, that really should be something they consider. No, not, not only should they consider it, you know, they should consider who the target is too, because I, I don't know what the future holds. I wish I kind of did. You know, I wish I could see because <laughs> then otherwise I would just, you know, I'd buy whatever cryptos that's going to quadruple over the next month. But they should be Doge. thoughtful about what kinds of people they're servicing, what their brand who, who it is they're targeting. I can imagine that my son, uh, who's 15 right now, uh, is going to want a different wealth management experience than my parents do. And, and I know that I know that's the case. It's definitely going to be the case. Sure. But there are some things that will stay the same. Jeff Bezos always uh, gets asked what's going to change about the future. He says, well, let's, let's talk about like what's going to stay the same. My son will have things that stay the same uh, with the current generation of advisors and their clients. And that is sitting down with that person who knows you in and out just knows everything about you and is custom crafted this experience for you and and is telling you you do you not somebody else this technology uh, that's being developed from from all across the board whether it's the apps or the planning software or whether it's uh, the, the the money transfer systems whatever uh, I'm excited about where these things can go because sure. my son might end up with an experience where he lives in Idaho and his and his advisor lives in Milwaukee and he's at the top of a mountain and he needs to have a quick interaction on his financial plan, a goal changed, and he could just pop up almost a Star Trek style app mm -hmm. where he's he's able to get that wealth management experience. And yes. He'll never leave that firm. He'll never leave it. And, and a firm like ours is always thoughtful.
how much fun was that? Michael, this was fantastic. The funny part is that we're sitting here talking, our camera batteries are melting, yeah. our we video cards are melting. I'm sorry. We could go, how much longer could we go? We could do, we could do a 10 episode series on this. So we're committed to having you back. Thanks. But in the meantime, right, it's important to point out, everyone should follow you on Twitter at, at Bowling Baird. And your blog is bullandbear.com. Yep. How simple is easy that? To remember. Easy to so, remember. So simple, so easy to remember. We, of course, have our Twitter um, the finding de- at the Finding Desk. Of course, Burmeister Tom and uh, at Anthony Steak. Um, you know what's sad, Tom? We're, we're going to take, take a little time off. Yeah, Not being are. my co-host, but yeah. we're taking a little time off. We, uh, we have some vacation schedule. we got some trip schedule. We're going to L.A. Finally, and nice weather in Milwaukee. Finally, it nice weather. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's disappointed. Let's go to L.A. when it gets nice. We're going yeah. to L.A., right? <laughs> so with that, I think we'll be back in maybe about a month with another episode. We're not exactly sure. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Good. So sit tight. In the meantime, make sure you catch up on all the episodes that we've had in the past. Make sure you follow Michael on Twitter. At the very least, follow him on Twitter. And uh, sit tight. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Planning Desk Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Steak, with Michael Antonelli and my co-host, Tom Burmeister. Take us out on Purple Rain. Planning Desk out. Yeah. Take us out on Purple Rain. Rain. Take us out. Prince is very litigious. (laughs) (laughs) 